So it really belongs to the Gelegenheidskoppeltekking Activisten Aanhang. It's Friday, November 23rd, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, Dutch News Contributing Editor and Thanksgiving Warrior, and with me today is Gordon Derrick, my fellow Dutch News Contributing Editor and Victor Kugler wannabe, and Paul Painters, sometimes student, sometimes barista, and Martin von Rossum, birthday party crasher. So is it too late to wish you a happy Thanksgiving, Molly? It is. Thanks. Thanksgiving was yesterday. But today is uh, today's the Dutch favorite, the Dutch's favorite American imported holiday, uh, Black Friday. Yes, so Black Friday is a day when traditionally Dutch people go on the radio and moan about the fact that they're importing too many American traditions. Well, especially Black Friday, because it doesn't make sense to have a Black Friday if you do not celebrate uh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving right? Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. understand it either. Yeah. But this is this is your own fault. Like, if you don't want Black Friday, don't go shopping today. <laughs> I'm this not is, going to. Yeah, well, this is very though, easy. I, even though I found out that even uh, the Vandale Dictionary has a Black Friday offer, and it's a pretty good deal, I have is to it? say. It's okay. 55% off. So, wow. So, so are you uh, going to get your special Black Friday Dicker Vandale? <laughs> yes, I'm going to have Excellent. that, and I'm going to... Would that be a compound word? Black Friday de Kandala. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, I, think, Stop I it. think you need a koppelteken for that. Stop but it. Only a gelegenheidskoppelteken. <laughs> so how was uh, Morten van Rossum's birthday party, Paul? It was pretty fun. Yeah. 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 He celebrated his 75th birthday uh, at the Tivoli um, Theater in Utrecht. Yeah, and it was really nice. He talked about how to uh, become a happy person yeah. because he's 75 now. And, and, he, and he's a famously happy person as well. Yeah, he always looks so happy. happy, exudes happiness. When yes, television, yes, exactly. He? Yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he talked about that and he says the only time people are inviting me on the television is when there is something to complain about. Yeah. So yeah, that's why everybody thinks that he's a very grumpy, complaining old man. But he is, he's... A, Actually, a very optimistic man. He um, he he told us so. And did everyone sit about in a circle and eat cubes of cheese and yes. drink uh, lukewarm coffee? Yes, because that's uh, a Dutch tradition, of yeah. course. That's <laughs> not an American tradition. We import it uh, to, to here. No, it's a it's a fully Dutch tradition. Yeah. Now we did get uh, little cubes of, of cake. So yeah, there was no there was no cubes of cheese, but at least we got one cube one cube of, of cake. Cube of yeah. cake. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Gordon, I hear you're going to be hiding some people in your uh, your cellar, your attic, in the walls of your house. I think people are going to start turning up my doorstep quite soon, the way the Brexit negotiations are going, and just are demanding to be accommodated in my cellar or anywhere where I have space. I also That's have some space if there's some Brexit yeah. refugees who need yeah. to hide. Yeah, I, I, no, I think we need to start the bidding for the for the refugees because uh, they're going to be flooding <laughs> over the channel quite soon. Yeah, we will we will be updating our listeners on what's going on with Brexit or what's not going on. More to the point. Yeah. <laughs> so, Paul, what is the uh, what is our all of the week. The ophef of the week uh, is about the Christmas special of the Allerhande. What is the Allerhande? No, well, the Allerhande is the monthly magazine of uh, the Albert Heijn supermarkets. Uh, it's usually filled with uh, discounts, background information of certain products, and of course recipes. Uh, and the highlight of the year is of course the Christmas special. And uh, since Allerhande is the second largest magazine in terms of circulation, this is true. That's insane. What's the mm. first one? Uh, the Campion, oh. which is the right. ANWB magazine. Yeah. Yes, I get that through the door every week really you, are yes. an, you have an yeah, because he is an I'm a member of the ANVB oh yeah. I was just going to ask if that happened because that means that you are officially a Dutch person now. <laughs> exactly well yeah. you didn't get your passport with the uh, first issue of the uh, of the Compune no I think it's coming in the post so. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah they should be sending it to you I get the soon. NS magazine 
Does that not count? No, but that's just. Uh, I think that. Uh, do you need to be subscribed to that? Or I don't have any idea. Yeah, it just, it just appears to continue turning up at my house yeah. no matter where yeah. I live. You get that, I think, if you have any kind of abonnement, any kind of uh, yeah. subscription yeah. to the uh, on the railways. I do have yeah. an abonnement, yeah. so that's mm, probably okay. why. So that's yeah. I think that's a kind of preliminary stage, and the next stage is the amphibian. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, but I would just like to point out that a free magazine is the biggest magazine in the Netherlands, or at least <laughs> the second biggest magazine. Yeah. Um, so uh, the Christmas special uh, it's always the highlight uh, of the year but people were uh, mad about this because this year readers were disappointed with a large amount of vegetarian and vegan recipes in the Christmas special uh, people on Facebook complained that there were hardly any recipes with meat or fish and some even suggested that the supermarket turned their magazine in some sort of vegan propaganda uh, naturally, this sparked some uh, remarks from vegetarians, and next thing we knew, we were in the middle of Ophef, and we even reached the point already that people were causing Ophef about yeah. the Ophef. That so the Ophef was flying. Yes, yeah. and that's, that's always the best part of, uh, the best moment in yeah. the Ophef. That's the moment when you know you've got to kind of peak Ophef. Yes, well, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Are people who get this magazine unaware that the internet exists, and that one can Google, like... I don't know, steak Christmas dinner recipes mm. in Dutch, you and you can... will find plenty of options. Or, or, no, or do these people not just have like grandmothers that they can go and ask <laughs> you know, how to cook your traditional well, Christmas dinner with lots of meat? Right. Or like uh, just add some bacon to whatever like Brussels sprout salad they yeah, have. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it seems really simple. Yeah. 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 Just uh, be creative. Yeah. 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 Just roast a turkey with whatever is in the magazine. You can't roast a turkey food. in this country because no one will sell you roasting pans, which I discovered because <laughs> we are serving Thanksgiving on Sunday. On Saturday and I went out yesterday to buy a roasting pan and I went to every shop and there were no roasting pans. Again, you, uh, and you ended at Ikea and you bought it No, there? I ended up with a bunch of British people who I called and said, do you have a roasting pan? And of course they all did, all of which have been imported from some other place in the world. And now I have three roasting pans. <laughs> so shout out to the Brits. Can't organize a Brexit, can <laughs> organize a Sunday roast. We, 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 we can get roast dinner on the table yeah. at a moment's notice. Yeah. Yeah. But, but again, going back to an earlier point, if you heard this thing called the internet where you can buy this kind of stuff. Yeah, but, it, but on Thursday it was like too late. I mean, I just, I had higher expectations so did, 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 of like... Thanksgiving take you by surprise did you not know it was on the 25th this year I I I just I underestimated Dutch people's inabilities to cook pieces of meat basically (laughs) how long have you been living here I know I should have known better this is I have no one to blame but myself this week we will update you on the latest Brexit news force ourselves to discuss Zort Piet, and you can find out why at least one person refused to vote in local elections in our discussion we'll talk about the latest in the pension saga the arrival of Sinterklaas in the Noord-Holland village of Zandijk passed off peacefully on Saturday, but there were clashes between pro- and anti Piet activists at processions in other parts of the country. Three arrests were made in Rotterdam after a confrontation between pro- and anti-Piet campaigners, police said. In Groningen and Leeuwarden there were also clashes between football supporters and the police. In Hoorn, police took action to stop pro-Piet demonstrators verbally attacking opponents. The worst violence, however, was in Eindhoven, where an estimated 250 football hooligans and pro-peat activists surrounded a small group of demonstrators on Saturday, throwing eggs at them and hurling racist and sexist abuse. In Tilburg, on Sunday, police arrested 44 pro-peat demonstrators to stop them attacking a small anti-peat demonstration. In Nijmegen, The Hague and Den Helder, anti-blackface activists were unable to hold their protest, 
or had their demonstration cut short because of the threat of attacks. Prime Minister Mark Rutte was, uh, was widely condemned for not condemning this violence, which yeah. seems insane. Yeah, it, it, it took him a few days, but he finally condemned the violence, saying that the people who attacked anti-blackface demonstrators during the Sinterklaas processions this weekend as uh, hooligans who were happy to cause trouble during question time in Parliament on Tuesday. The act-throwing mob of hooligans in Eindhoven were coked out idiots who were drunk, Rutte told MPs before going on to restate his distaste for extremists on both sides. They were both on coke and they were drunk? That's an interesting combination. Yeah, okay. yeah sometimes that happens. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. No. But, um, but they weren't doing yoga, so they weren't coked out <laughs> yogis. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rutte said he believed uh, they should be charged with racism, but uh, that is a matter of the public prosecution department, he said. It is up to society at large, not politicians, to solve the dispute, the Prime Minister said. Uh, what we can do is make a deal that adults behave like adults uh, when they are in the vicinity of small children. But the rest of the time it's yeah. fine to just behave like a bunch of coked out drunk idiots. Yes, yeah. at least okay. if you're not uh, doing yoga. Which explains why this podcast is such a disaster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's no kids or around. Success. Yeah. Or success. Yeah. The Prime Minister's comments were immediately criticized by, uh, for example, GroenLinks leader Jesse Klaver. He said Rutte was wrong to dismiss peaceful demonstrators and racist hooligans as part of the same problem. It's time for leadership, he said. Speak out clearly against racism. Yeah, so Rutte did eventually condemn the violence, but only after Amnesty International had kind of told him he should. And also he did in a very qualified way, didn't he? Because I still don't get how you can think there's any moral equivalence between people who object to blackface makeup and people who stand throwing eggs, intimidating women and chanting about rape. And making uh, the Nazi salute. Yes. They also did that at Eintopa. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh. There's, a, there's a really like intense picture that was on... I don't know. He was in one of the on the front pages of one of the magazines, which is all these dudes like you can just tell like shouting angrily, like sort of yeah. making the like Nazi salute, and it's yeah. like re really like this is, you know. Yeah, they they were they were uh, accusing the protesters of uh, spoiling a children's festivity. Yeah, yeah. though they were the one that were throwing <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doing Nazi salutes. I mean, is that part of a children's festivity? Yeah, no. well, what sort of mindset makes you think that? Uh, yes, tell people stop ruining our children's party. By the way. Here's an egg in your face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've written it on the yeah. 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 No, it's... Yeah. Anyway, I'm glad this season is almost over again. Yeah. And uh, what was uh, FIFA Day leader's uh, class Dykov suggesting after demonstrations? Because that caused a bit of WAPF as well. Yes. He basically yeah. said ban them. Yeah. So he, he, but like, he just wants to ban all demonstrations, right? He just like seems to think that we're just going to what ban demonstrations for three weeks in the Netherlands yes, in the lead up yeah. to Sinterklaas. He suggested to to ban demonstrations at Sinterklaas festivities specifically. Um, yeah, that's of course a plan that is not going to happen anyway. No, no. and it sort of smacks a bit of victim blaming anyway, isn't it? It's like uh, yeah. if the problem is that people are yeah they're behaving like hooligans towards demonstrators, then if you ban the demonstrators, you're kind of rewarding the hooligans. Yes. I just thought. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm very confused by Dykov's comments because are we just not going to protest like do you just not get to protest anything if you just had like a protest against like I don't know a housing squat being like raided by the police but it happens to happen on the 1st of December like are we not allowed to protest against this it seems very like yeah and uh, it's not very well thought through uh, no. suggestion yeah and as uh, as even Ritter pointed out there were demonstrations up and down the country and the vast majority of them passed off peacefully, peacefully. because they've been properly organized as demonstrations should be where yeah. people sit down with the with the mayor and the dem demonstrators decide where and when to protest yeah and it's all fine yeah and just one or two places as long as like hotheads uh, you know um, throw eggs and throw racist abuse at yeah. people and it's fine 
In the never-ending game of musical stalemate that is the Brexit negotiations, the Dutch government this week finally published coherent advice for the 50,000 adult Britons living in the Netherlands. The IND updated the information on its website about what British people should do after March 29th next year, especially if, as seems increasingly likely, the UK leaves the European Union without a deal. The IND had previously been criticised by immigration lawyers for scaremongering in previous versions of the webpage, which said British citizens' residence permits would expire automatically next March, even though, as current EU citizens, they don't actually have them. So, what is the IND's advice now? So, it has actually published a whole webpage saying it's going to contact every British national in the country over a 21-month period, telling them what they need to do. Uh, the problem is they don't actually know what they need to do because there hasn't been a deal. <laughs> if there is a deal, there'll be a transition period, which goes till the end of 2020, and during that time, uh, if you're a British citizen, you'll continue to enjoy all the rights and benefits of EU citizens, and you won't need any special documentation, uh, but you will need to sort something out for after that spell. So, during that time, the IND will then invite people to apply for their new residence residency status, whatever that will be, although not all at once to prevent British expats just um, cramming the system in, in, in a mass mm. panic. Really? The Dutch should know that the British can queue very well. They won't. They're also on. very good at stockpiling. Yeah, and, that's uh, true. Yeah. If there isn't a deal, the Dutch government has promised to come up with what it calls a decent solution, but it's admitted it doesn't know what form that will take because we don't know if there's going to be a deal. Yeah. So, uh, it's not all very clear, but in the meantime, it said the main thing people need to do is make sure they're registered with their municipality and their current address uh, so the IND can contact them, and also make sure they have a DigiD account, because they say that will make it easier for them to file the application. N- nothing that- will become easier <laughs> when you have a DigiD account. <laughs> never. Yeah, the, the, whoever said that has obviously never tried to use DigiD <laughs> to register for anything. Yeah, or he's lying. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, it's go. Wait, is this a sports joke, Gordon? Yes. Did you write a sports joke? I wrote a sports me? joke into the news. Yeah, for you. Yeah, for me. For you. Uh, f- so, this is basically stickball stuff. What the fuck are you talking yeah, about? It's basically going to go to extra time and penalties. Um, and what is uh, Steph Blocks, our, our all time favorite minister's uh, role in all this? Yeah, Steph Block's been uh, doing his usual thing of uh, it's giving him lots of paperwork to do, so he's really happy. <laughs> um, Steph Block says he's going to introduce emergency powers. He's going to introduce a special Brexit bill into the Dutch parliament um, so that the various authorities uh, will be able to take whatever measures necessary to uh, make sure that no deal Brexit doesn't end up being a spanner in the works of things like free movement of goods and people in the Netherlands and dealing with more bread and butter issues like what to do if the police stop a British motorist using with his mm. driving license how do you yeah. process that when it's no longer in the European Union system yeah yeah you know things are bad when when Steph Block is preparing better yeah. for Brexit than uh, the UK government it uh, so I mean I don't know I'm not an immigration expert but it seems to me that like you could just pass a law that says any British national who's living in the Netherlands on December 31st 2018 will be automatically granted like a temporary residency permit that will get fill in the gap for them until they've been here for five years and can apply for permanent residency. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what they're, what they're doing in, in terms of this uh, transition period. All this is still up in the air, but uh, the way it seems to be heading is that anyone who is living here when Brexit actually happens and also at the end of the transition period, if there is one, if there's a deal, will basically have continue be allowed to retain the rights that they had. Until there is more clarity on... Until there's more clarity, yeah. And as you say, until you get to your five years. Because, I mean, um, I moved here in April 2014. So when It's just really agonising. So at the end of March next year, I'll be one month short of the five-year qualifying period. So I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to have to go and hide in my own cellar for a month. (laughs) Yeah.
But your kids, your kids have Dutch citizenship, so they can stay. My kids are Dutch nationals, so they can stay. And um, given that I'm the only surviving parent, um, I don't know who else is supposed to look after them. Yeah. So what that one, I and D. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> A quick update on the ongoing 30% ruling changes. Campaigners to scrap the plan to reduce the benefit, which allows highly skilled migrants to forego paying taxes on the first 30% of their incomes, are focusing their attention on the Erstekammer after an amendment by the Socialist Party and Groenlinks, which would have brought in a transition period for current beneficiaries as well as a salary cap, failed to generate enough support in the lower house. There have been several legal opinions that the planned changes, which would reduce the benefit from eight years to five with no transition period, may violate the principles of legal certainty and proportionality, and the Senate has traditionally acted as a venue to check legislation on its quality rather than its political perspective. We will keep you updated as things progress. So having spent the whole of the previous item saying how much better the Dutch are at sorting out these issues, here's a really simple fix yeah. to a pretty straightforward problem and it's taking them ages to come around to and doing it all honestly, they have to do is I put in a transition period I and really, you're done i really have no <laughs> understanding of why this has been such a challenge because there just does not seem to be a huge lobbying effort on the other side to say like oh well we should we should keep this without the transition period right like mm. pretty much everyone is in favor of like putting a transition period and so it just it seems very confusing to me why they have not worked this out I blame yeah. Steph Block. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just need to get Steph Block involved. Yeah. Sort yeah. it out. That'll be fine. There is an explanation, basically because they don't want to have a transition period. They don't care about the expense. Yeah. That's, that's no. the only transition. Yeah. And yeah. they don't like the cost. Yeah. Implications. Yeah. So that's, the, that's, the, that's your explanation. Yeah. But it seems to me that you could have passed this rule to make the eight-year down, reduction down to five with like very little, causing very little drama at all. No discussions, no none of this, no lawsuits, whatever, if you just introduced a transition period. Yeah. I mean, it just seems like they've just created so much more work and drama for themselves for like literally no apparent reason. The transition period doesn't even generate that much money. Like it's just, it seems absurd to me. Mm. The Dutch Senate has voted in favor of D66 leader Rob Jetta's plan to remove the way mayors are appointed from the constitution. The plan managed to win the two-third majority necessary for a constitutional change. Currently, mayors in the Netherlands are technically appointed by the king, but they are nominated by committees of local municipal councils. It is believed the door is now open for the introduction of elected mayors, even though no concrete plans have been submitted yet. The issue on how to elect mayors is likely to dominate the upcoming provincial elections next March. Deze leader Jette will use the winter show that his party is still in favor of administrative renewal, despite voting for scrapping advisory referendums. We know what's going to happen here, don't we? We're going to end up having... A referendum about what new system we should uh, have for electing mayor. For There's no mayors. possibility for referendums. So no, no you won't. Unless, of course, they, they introduce one specially. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're going to... Parliament can choose <laughs> referendums still. Yeah, that's yeah. true. So, yeah, so we're going to have... Yeah, that, that will be interesting. <laughs> but if you want to know more about mayors and how they are appointed and what they do in the Netherlands, we refer you back to last week's episodes where Molly and I explained to you very well on uh, what mayors do. Yes. Or yeah. didn't and, how and how they're chosen. And how they're chosen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, selected. Yeah. Selected. The Netherlands gave Germany a taste of their own schadenfreude on Wednesday with two late goals in Gelsenkirchen to qualify for the semi-finals of the Nations League. Needing only a point to be guaranteed qualification, Oranje were outplayed for the first hour and went 2-0 behind to strike some Timo Werner and Leroy Sané. But five minutes before the end, Kvitsi Promis stinked in a shot to pull a goal back and then with four seconds of the 90 minutes left, Virgil van Dijk smashed home the all-important equaliser. 
and that means the Dutch joined Switzerland, Portugal and England in the last four of the world's most incomprehensible sports event. <laughs> yeah, it is incomprehensible sport event. I knew back did a very good uh, sort of a, uh, faux <laughs> attempt to explain how the Nations League works yeah, on his you, show two weeks ago. That's worth watching. Yeah, if you play on Tuesday, you will go to uh, the D-Pool, which <laughs> does not exist, but you get a red card anyway. Yeah, also yeah. It's, uh, yeah. But of course, now they qualify for the semi-finals, it now becomes a really important uh, Sputnik yeah. tournament. And there's, there's some big um, uh, comebacks, actually, because uh, Switzerland were 2-0 down to Belgium and ended up winning 5-2. Oh. Yeah. Wow. So, to, to go through. Interesting. So some very exciting games, even though it, may, it means absolutely nothing. Yeah, and also, uh, I, I believe uh, Andorra had their first loss last week. Ah. So, that's sad commiserations, for that. Commiserations to them yeah, yeah, and their 20 fans. What else did Van Dijk earn praise for during the match? Uh, so he consoled the referee. Ovidio Hatikan was told during the halftime break that his mother had just died. Oh, that's, mm. that's our condolences. Yeah. So, um, so, after the match, Van Dijk went over and put an arm around his shoulder. And his quote on Twitter is saying, I wished him strength and said he'd refereed well. Mm. So, that was nice of him. Yeah. Um, and he also gave a coat to one of the mascots because she was a bit cold. Oh, that's he seems like a so he's a nice, nice chap. guy. Yeah, yeah. nice lovely yeah. guy. He's and, he, and he got a letter from uh, Kuman. Kuman gave a note to one of the players, who gave it to another one, who gave it to Van Dijk. And uh-huh. on the note, he had written, I don't know, his change of strategy, and right. uh, that was uh, the reason why uh, Virgil Van Dijk was able that, to that score he because was, he's yeah. actually a defender, and yeah. uh, he he's, he made the um, equalizing goal. Yeah. So, so the note just basically said, "Go and stand in the yeah. m- middle of the penalty area, exactly, and smash it in." Yeah. Which duly did. And there was a there was darts news this week, right, Gordon? Yeah, huge news in the sports of darts. Uh, Raymond von Barneveld, uh, he's retiring next year after 35 years of throwing arrows at a board. Um, he's finally decided <laughs> to do something else. Making more money than any of us ever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, he used to be a postman in the Hague, <laughs> and he gave it up to become a darts player. There you go. Um, so, so, so there's still a future for Fred Tafer. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> still a job he hasn't done yeah, yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but von Barneveld won the world championship five times between 1999 and 2007, and inspired a generation of Dutch players take up the sport, including Roland Scholten, Co Stompe. That's, that's one, that's one, of, one of your names. It's yeah. a Stompe. Stompe. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's yeah. got an A on the end. Yeah. Yeah. Liberté, Egalité, yeah. Stompe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vincent van der Voort and Michael van Gerven. Um, and because he used to be a postman, um, when he won his second world title, he div- delivered the immortal line, the postman always wins twice. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. And uh, any news about the women? Uh, yeah, because the, the women's football team qualified for next year's World Cup finals in France. So because they the, are far superior to the men. Um, yeah, the, 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 the men are catching up a bit. A and bit. now the coalition parties say they want to organise the tournament in 2027. Um, and the Dutch chances are thought to have been boosted because the United States, who were one of the front runners, have now been chosen to co-host the men's tournament in the year before. Okay. Um, so and FIFA don't like giving two tournaments in a row to the same country. Yeah. Mm. So Deus as MP Antje Deertens raised the idea in Parliament on Monday and Sports Minister Bruno Brands said he'll do everything he can to support the plan. Although given Bruno Brands' record on uh, shoring up uh, bankrupt hospitals, I'm not sure that's really an endorsement. <laughs> GroenLinks was the big winner in Wednesday's local election in Groningen. The party won with 11 seats on the 45-seat council, almost more than twice as many as its nearest rival. The turnout in Groningen was low, only 45% of all eligible people cast their vote. If you think, did I miss an election? You probably didn't. Some 700,000 people in 37 different local authority areas could vote in Wednesday's elections, eight months after the rest of the country, because of boundary changes and local authority mergers. In Haarlemmermeer, which will incorporate Haarlemmer Lieder and Spaanwoude from January, the VVD took seven seats, as did local interest party HAP. The turnout in Haarlemmermeer was also low, with 35%. 
So this is part of the exercise to reduce the number of local councils. I think yeah, because it. small municipalities are merged with other small mm. municipalities or with the, with the larger one, which seems to make sense. Uh, but there was always a, a local ophef about this. Yeah. But because uh, Haren, which was a um, uh, an independent municipality, is now merged with Groningen. Yeah. But Haren is a very a posh. Uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, it's a very well-to-do suburb. Yeah, yeah. And they yeah. don't want to do with the don't want anything to do with the dirty city. But <laughs> with the plebs in Groningen. Yes. yes. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they were forced to merge with. Uh, Groningen now, so uh, they are very unhappy. But uh, yeah, yeah, it, it makes sense to just. Uh, it is, but Groningen is now quite a big municipality, isn't it? It's about the sixth largest in the country. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they're not merging with the with the earthquake municipalities <laughs> because that's uh, of course because yes. uh, they're going to get problems. Yeah, yeah they're going to get gradually smaller as the ground just collapses. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they just fall into the earth. <laughs> uh, so Paul, I hear there was a uh, one local election that had a that had a boycott. Yeah, that's true. Tom Den Boon, that's the editor in chief of the official Dutch dictionary, the Vandalen Dictionary, said on Twitter that he was not going to vote in his new municipality because the new name contains a spelling mistake. The new name is West Betuwe. This is written without a hyphen between West and Betuwe, even though there should be one, according to Den Boon. He also pointed out that uh, the municipality puts its officials in an awkward legal position because, according to the 1996 spelling law, government officials are uh, officially forbidden to make spelling mistakes, and the new name forces them to do so and hence to break the law. There is a 1996 spelling law in this yeah. country? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, the last time the spelling officially changed. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of official reforms of spelling. It caused loads of uphef at the time, I seem to remember. It's There's still uphef. <laughs> still nobody knows it. where to put yeah. the hyphens and what. And people still don't, uh, still don't know whether to put an S in the middle of a word or not. Exactly. Yeah. Or, 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 where, where, or the N, N, where the N goes, yeah. Pannenkoek, is yeah. that with an N or with a tussen nobody N knows. or not a tussen N? Officially. Nobody knows. But Gordon, uh, this little ophef made you have a new favourite Dutch word. Yes, because uh, I noticed that Tom Dinbon uh, on Twitter described himself as a gelegenheidskoppelteken activist. Yes, yes, which we would translate as. Which we translate as a sort of um, occasional oca- hyphen yeah, activist. Occasional hyphen activist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. I, I support him in this. Yeah, yeah. You I do. think so. You're also a occasional hyphen activist. No, not a, no, no, no. I'm a supportive of occasional hyphen activists. Oh, okay. But I'm not going to uh, demonstrate myself because next thing you know, Klaus Dijkhoff mm. will uh, <laughs> will try to ban my uh, yeah. my my hyphen activism. We'll be discussing the latest in pension reform plans after this word from our sponsors. Are you lacking clarity about your life or career? Do you need help setting and reaching your goals? Did you consider getting a coach? Coach.net is bringing the help of professional coaches to you like never before. That's K-O-A-C-H dot Whether you are looking for a life or a career or a health or a leadership coach, Now you can find and book an accredited and experienced coach directly and easily. And all of our coaches offer a free session, so you can meet the coach and discuss your needs directly and privately. Start the change. Book a free session with a coach of your choice today at coach.net. That's K-O-A-C-H dot net. Last week, as we were recording this podcast, Prime Minister Mark Rutte was leaving a marathon meeting, lasting through the night, discussing pension reform. No agreement was reached, and talks continued this week until they fell apart on Tuesday. So what exactly is keeping Mark Rutte up at night? So, um, first of all, what are the reforms that are being considered right now? Basically, people live too long. 
<laughs> so a change to the current system is necessary because the aging population is putting more pressure on the current pension system and pension funds are having to pay out more to people for longer. This isn't a new problem. Talks on reform began you know, several years ago. I think seven years have been yeah. negotiating this, haven't they? Yeah. They've been yeah. negotiating this as but long as I've lived in this now? country. Wow. Yeah. It's seven madness. Years. Yeah. yeah. And the basic problem is you say that the the pension funds are collecting less money because fewer the few young people and paying out more because people are retiring right. for longer. But it's that's a problem you you can see coming right from 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 for the a last few seven decades. Years. Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. But didn't they already change the retirement age a yeah. couple of years ago? Yeah, they did. The state pension age in the Netherlands is currently 66, but it will rise to 67 and three months by 2022. And after that, it's set to rise based on overall life expectancy. Um, however, unsurprisingly, this is like not a super well liked move. It turns out people don't want to like have to work into their 70s. I mean, in some jobs, obviously, that's completely impractical because that's one of the points that they were discussing, wasn't it? Whether people who are in, like, especially physically demanding jobs um, should have some kind of separate arrangement so they don't have to keep working till 70 when, frankly, you can't if you're doing heavy lifting. Yeah, like, if you're a university (laughs) professor, maybe it's okay to keep working Mm. until 67 and a half, but if you're, like, a coal miner, not that there's a lot of coal miners here, but whatever, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's just not possible to keep going at that rate, at that age. No, or a construction worker, yeah, exactly. or, or, or if it's a psychological demanding job, for example, yeah. if you are, I don't know, hosting uh, this podcast, hosting this yeah. podcast, for example. <laughs> and what is this, so? What's uh, how does the current system work? We should say that as well. So the current uh, system has the Dutch corporate pension sector sort of dominated by like industry or company based schemes you pay in your company matches it. So then there's like a second component which is paid for by the government. So that's like funded by your tax euros. Um, so basically like there's sort of this two, two system, right? You have like sort of a private pension. Most people have like a private pension and then you also have this like public pension and they're supposed to complement each other and ensure Mm. that you have like a, a, you know, a living wage through your retirement. Um, it's actually considered to be one of the better systems in the world. It is. Yeah. It tends tends to be, get a lot of uh, praise for being, because you have these enormous pension funds that are very, got lots of capital to invest. Yeah. There's quite a lot of, um, historically people being quite well uh, remunerated in their retirement. But the government is like keen to introduce what they're calling personal pension pots. They're trying to like bring more flexibility into the system and like also try to bring in people who are maybe outside the traditional pension system. So for example, like Zazie payers and these sorts of things. Yeah. Because that's part of the problem, isn't it? this old system is kind of your pension is tied to your to your workplace yeah. but because people are shifting jobs a lot more yeah. than they used to you're not you don't just start working in the factory and stay there for 40 years yeah. and build up a pension you have to have more flexibility because work is becoming more flexible there's more casualization yeah so that, and that's like kind of part of the things that are like somewhat causing the conflict um, the uni- the unions are saying that the government is not doing enough to meet demands for like a slower rise to the retirement age which we talked about mm. um, Rutu is meeting with the three largest unions um, and basically the ministers and employers are blaming the unions for failing to compromise and the unions are blaming the government in like an argument that is as old as time indeed yeah but it does seem i'm interested it does seem that the unions are getting the the bulk of the blame for this uh, in most of the media coverage i wonder if that's entirely fair or whether that's just because rutu is good at better at talking to the media than the union leaders are i mean i i think some of it is like certainly the latter like it's a this is a tough thing to solve basically because you know you people are living longer and so there is more of a demand on the pension system but 
people don't want to stare down a retirement age of 73 or something, mm. even though they are like living longer, right? Like you have this idea that you get to retire, you know, at some point in your life and like enjoy your retirement after working for 30 or 40 years. And people don't like this notion that like that keeps it, getting pushed back. I'm, I'm wondering, is, is 67 uh, an unusual high pension age uh, compared to other countries? It's, uh, it's kind of like somewhat basically like in the middle, pretty much. I mm. mean, if they go much higher, it seems like they're going to be a bit more of an outlier. But they're having this discussion in like every country, right? Like all of these places, basically, you had this huge baby boom, like after the Second World War, essentially. And now all of these people are old and are collecting mm-hmm. pensions. And all of those people had fewer children than their parents did. So there's just like a younger working population to sort of like uphold the system. So yeah. And they're sucking up all the pension capital. And there's other complicating factors, like the fact that we've had low interest rates for five, ten years. Right. And that means that the, you know, the, the pension funds are not growing fast enough yeah. to, um, yeah, to fund the, the retirement of the people who are, who are coming out of work. Right. The growing yeah. demand of the yeah. pensions. Yeah. yeah. So what's the plan now? Apparently the Dutch cabinet may decide to press ahead with reforming the pension system without the involvement of the unions that the Telegraph reported that on Thursday. Two of the coalition parties, the Baby Day and Christian Uni, have openly questioned if the Dutch system of consensus building, the so-called Polder model, is under threat. They're refusing to rule out reforming the pension system without union and employer input, which is like a big deal here in light of, yeah, what has, what sort of like has happened in the past. Yeah. Because that's kind of not, doesn't sound like, that sounds kind of pretty ominous in a way if, if the entire Polder model uh, is being talked about as being under threat and unsustainable because that's been the way of negotiating, um, you know, social reforms for the last 30 years yeah. now, isn't it? So, um, can, what yeah. is the, can you talk a little bit about like what the Polder model is and like sort of how it works for listeners who may or not familiar with this? Yeah, it's, it's, it's called the Polder model. It's, it, it's widely thought to have begun with the Vassana Accords of 1982 during um, Ruth Lubis' uh, uh, time as Prime Minister um, when unions, employers and government all got together and decided of a comprehensive plan to revitalize the economy and at that at that moment in time there was a kind of a trade-off where he traded off shorter working times um, and less pay on the one hand but more jobs on the other yeah and, and was, it was this this uh, accord uh, <coughs> really made Rupert Lubbers the the Mr. Polder model mm-hmm. but also Wim Kok who was the uh, union leader back then who later became prime minister yeah. And uh, basically continued uh, all the policies Ruud Lubbers uh, uh, put in place. And yeah. yeah, that was the birth of the of the Polder model. Yeah, yeah. so that was really the foundation for the last kind of 25, 30 years, yeah. you say, of, uh, of how politics was done. You say where, where unions and employers get together and, uh, and, and, and make trade-offs. Yeah, so, and so the government as well. And yeah. the government as well, the government's involved. So yeah. it's basically, it's a, as I understand it, a deal between the unions and the employers. But the, the cabinet has a role as well. And uh, certainly Rutte has been taking a very active part in these talks over yeah. the last couple of months. Because he could see that, it was, that they were approaching the edge of the precipice um, so that's polar model yeah, as we say is characterised as kind of tripartite cooperation but the talks are then embodied in what's called the Social Economic Rat you know, the Social Economic Council which serves as the central forum to discuss labour issues and it's got a long traditional consensus between the two opposing sides and the one thing you do notice certainly living in the Netherlands is how few strikes there are because yeah. things are negotiated in advance yeah. and then all yeah. sides agree to stick to the deal and if there are strikes and they're re- renegotiated regularly as well yeah. the and, if thing, yeah, and if there are yeah. strikes they're usually like well negotiated strikes that happen yes. at like 2 p.m. on a Tuesday rather yeah. than like yeah. during rush hour or yeah, on holiday exactly. weekend or something yeah. Yeah. so it's yeah. 
it, they have a much better sort of strike culture in that regard than say the French or, or something like that. Or the Belgians. Or the Belgians. Yeah. We're currently on strike now. Yeah, we're yeah. just <laughs> constantly striking and disrupting everything. Yeah, so it does seem a little like ominous and scary, like you said, Gordon, that they're like maybe thinking about moving away from this yeah. consensus building because it seems to have done well for the country for the last 30 years. But on the other hand, I mean, I understand the unions are sort of representing people who are going, yeah, we can't work until 70. We don't want to work until 70. Mm. This is not what we were promised. This is like not what our parents got. Like this is not a good deal for us. And, yeah. but the, you know, the economics of the system are such that it makes it very difficult to figure out how to support all of these people, you know, you know, living much longer yeah. um, in life with a smaller base of workers. So I have yet to hear a good solution to this no. problem or to this problem like globally because it's happening in many, many countries. Indeed. And there are all kinds of um, you know, problems. It's a very complicated multi-layer problem. You know, to say, but part of the problem is that work is becoming more casualized and yeah. people are shifting jobs or retraining, having two or three careers in the course of their working life. And then that, that, that doesn't square so well with the old pension system. But that's kind of a, a change that's been brought on by the rise of liberalism, which is more individualistic yeah. and more about, you know, you don't just work at the same factory for 40 years yeah. you have more freedom to move about in your career but if you have that freedom then you've got to have a common difference so in that sense I think the, the, there is a you know um, a responsibility with the politician like Margaret who encouraged this way of working to then come up with an appropriate pension system to match it yeah and especially with things like you were saying like uh, people doing more like Zay payer like type work I mean then you don't have an employer that's like chipping in to match this pension thing so you know many people who freelance are like grossly underfunded in their retirement you know people who move around from country to country so like that also creates problems because then you don't live in a place long enough yeah. to accru accumulate enough credit to be able to be eligible for like a social or a basic pension thing and like you know there's oftentimes there's lots of statistics cited about women in the Netherlands because they often work part time so they don't like accumulate enough of a pension to actually be able to support themselves mm -hmm. like in old age so if they end up divorced or whatever like it's really it creates all these problems and like the system was you know based on the sort of idea that you like you said you know you work for the same factory for 40 years your wife stays home and takes care of the kids and she gets your pension when you die and like it's all fine but like yeah. that's not the world that we live in anymore no. so we have to make some adjustments to the yeah. system there's all kinds of technical uh, issues one thing i read about this week is that things like you know um because every year we invest in the in the pension system counts equally that's kind of unfair on younger people because the euros that they're paying in now that they're not going to see for another 60 years has got more time to accumulate capital than people who like, i mean i came to this country you know in my, in my yeah, when i was nearly 40 right. and started paying into the pension system so those euros that i was yeah, i'm paying in now i'll see in 30 years someone else who's 15 20 years younger who's paying in the same amount yeah, at the same time isn't going to see it till later even yeah. though it's it will have it will have grown more yeah. in value um, than, than the money I'm, I'm yeah. paying in so how do I, you fix that? I wish I had more <laughs> that there was more information out there about the Ritz's like sort of I don't know decentralization pension pot like situation because while I tend to be a person that can be like quite skeptical of these like liberalization reforms I do wonder if like we're going to have a liberalized economy if you have to like match that with a more liberalized method of saving for retirement and if there is not some way to sort of maybe do this in a way that's more, you know, I don't know, like fair and, and makes it easier to do this. No, no. And how do you maintain the protection so that we, uh, of, of of the pension capital so that yeah. people, you know, so, so people have enough, so enough is saved for everyone to have a reasonable retirement. Obviously, right. some people who earn more are going to get more at the other end, but yeah. to make sure that there is a, a, a basic, yeah. decent, basic um, retirement, universal retirement uh, income. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you were saying about moving jobs, like, you know, I've had sort of a whole bunch of these like random jobs over the years and like you pay into a pension system I have no idea where any of that money is like you just there's like not a clear way of keeping track of any of this stuff and like it can be difficult to like roll pensions that you've accumulated
accumulated in one place over. So you work for a place for two years and then you have to pay a fee to like roll your, your pension over. And like that may end up like not being, you know, really like worth it in the end. So now I've just like paid into a system for two years, but I'm not actually going to accumulate that money at the end of time. But whereas if I had been working for the same company the whole time, so the system is not going to work forever. And like they do yeah. need to come up with some changes. I think the other thing to bring in, I think this point is that something I read in trial this week is that because the opposition have been obviously very critical of the government's handling of this. And of course, in five or six months from now, we're going to have the elections to the Senate where the government is going to lose its majority and it's going to have to need to seek concessions or give concessions to the opposition parties, potentially. And this is, I think, one of the issues on which the opposition is going to see opportunities to get concessions out of the government. So it might get even more complicated. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it will definitely be more yeah. complicated, especially because the opposition is, is basically a, a, all, all the left-wing parties exactly. are in the opposition right now and uh, they, of course, will have a, a very different stance on, on pension reforms than, say, CDA and uh, VVD. They might be, uh, they might have some common ground with d but that's not necessarily the case. So yeah, that will that will that will bring even more voices uh, on this negotiation table, and it will definitely complicate <laughs> the situation even more. But on the other hand, what I'm thinking when someone says that uh, uh, I think the 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 Polder model is uh, is going to collapse, then I uh, what I think is that's not going to happen because the Polder model worked so well in the past, mm-hmm. and uh, this is basically just a threat to 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 enhance uh, his or her position in these negotiations. So I think the Polder model will definitely survive, and uh, it's just the way. Of, uh, of of trying to turn the tables in negotiations. Yeah, I mean, I do wonder, though, it's like one of these things about, like, creeping sort of change where, you know, maybe if the government pushes to go forward without the unions this time and then the unions push a little bit more the next time and then, like, slowly over a period of time, this, you know, form of consensus building breaks down, which... I mean, I think would be a real detriment to the government system here. Do, do we actually know uh, what the what the breaking point of these negotiations were, or did didn't the, any of the parties talk about what was negotiated and what they might have agreed the, on? It's the age. Thing? The unions mm. came out and said like the government is unwilling to move on the age thing, and they're unwilling to move on the age thing, and that's that's yeah. I mean, that's but the that's government the f- is not not uh, uh, guaranteeing that the pension age will not rise, or no, are they not happy with the sixty-seven years. They um, wanted to go, and it's but it's planned to go up further and the unions are saying Mm. like this can't go up further we have to like make accommodations for people and like you know i think it's it's sort of a the age thing is a bit of a two two prong issue one is that you have people who are working in jobs who are just not capable of physically doing these jobs into their 70s and two that you have people who are just genuinely unhappy with the idea that they're going to have to work until they're 70 like people just don't like staring down i think 50 years of work as opposed to their parents who had 30 years of work Mm. or 35 years of work and so i think the unions are in like a tough spot of like trying to yeah yeah, make people happy in this regard yeah and i think the government had said it was prepared to um delay the uh the increase in retirement age by by two years i think to 2024 and they also said that they would um uh give the decision on whether you would then link it after that to uh, life expectancy they would um pass that on to the next cabinet but i think that because i didn't contain any any guarantees that wasn't good enough for the unions they wanted a more concrete Mm. solution yeah Yeah. Yeah. Well, that seems like something you can uh, figure out, right? I would hope so. Apparently, maybe they should not start their meetings at 9 o'clock at night when people are already no. tired and grumpy. No, like, exactly. You should start at 10 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You should have some good coffee there. But to be honest, at 9 p.m., it's allowed to have a drink. 
That's true. So that might be bad. I don't know. Maybe that's worse. Like, you you know, you get you get a couple of <laughs> glasses of wine in you and then you tell Mark Rutzer what you really think about his pension scheme. And that's like not a good no. You need to you need to have it at a nice like not too early in the morning, like a nice 10 o'clock meeting yeah. start, mm. have a nice lunch and just like lock these assholes in a room together and tell them to figure we it out. We have a cot's house that's uh, perfectly suited for this. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. This week's episode has been sponsored by Coach, and if you want to find out more about them, they have a website and a podcast at koach.net. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul Paters. I'm Molly Quell, and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.